I, 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 well, you know, if we wanted to get, like, back into another discussion about the morality of murdering a 13-year-old. I mean, the morality of murdering 13-year-old is that it's bad and you shouldn't do it, but they might have just done it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! We should introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Parker. I use she, her, and I'm pretty sure I aced my comparative memetics exam this morning. Ooh, baby, you want to compare memetics? Yeah, you want to talk about comparative memetics? I feel like I got a lot out of that class. Like, I didn't I didn't expect to going into it, but, like, I don't know. I mean, I 100% was, really was just time. making a sex joke, but also I would genuinely love to compare memetics. I mean, I, I had to identify and explain 32 image macros from across systems and time periods, and then I wrote a short essay on Leary and idiomatic thought forms. Uh, so I'm funny on six planets now. <laughs> yeah, I also pulled an all-nighter, so that's why I'm like this. Like what? More tired and less peppy than usual. You seem peppy to me. That's just, like, your opinion. Anyway, who are you? My name is Erso Rin. I use she, her pronouns. And my fun fact for this week is... You can get a sandwich for 60 cents. All you have to do is put a dime between two quarters. Crunch. My name is Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns. My fun fact is that my apartment building's elevator is full of water, and I have to go step in that water now to do laundry. Bye. Holy cow. This is the second to last week. Next week is the last week of the semester. Thank God. That's why we are all just... Remember at the beginning of the semester when we were all so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and ready bright-eyed to, and bushy-tailed and ready to talk about some some mighty morphin teens, yeah. And now we're now we're now we're look at us jaded and exhausted, um, and watching them become jaded and exhausted as well. Anyway, yeah, this week we read Animorphs Volume Twenty Two: The Solution, narrated by Rachel. It is the third part of the sort of what we've taken to calling the david saga um the david trilogy the david problem (laughs) (laughs) okay so david is lying on the train tracks tied to the train tracks um and then a bunch of rats are also tied to the train tracks they're tied with very small pieces of string um yes it's very comical yes (laughs) this is a this is a, a a watershed i can't think of the words Mm-hmm. I feel like we say watershed every discussion. Is that the word? I don't remember. Sure. So the thing about Lear and idiomatic thought forms is that you can't, like, say them. They're not, like, transmissible via traditional sort of mimetic formats. But, like, I could think one at you perfectly right now. But I can't remember the word for, like, this is the event horizon for uh-huh. some of the sort of, like, childhood and innocence of these, uh, these are savior teens. Because bad stuff happens. And they deal with a guy who they shouldn't have to deal with do we have a synopsis this week at all mm-hmm. oh you do i'm stalling for cassandra to come back okay uh, cassandra I'll will grab come back my physical copy of the book okay i'm back so it again it starts right after the previous book um since it's the third part of the david trilogy it's narrated by rachel so axe busts into her bedroom and explains that david 
has betrayed them and possibly killed Tobias. Tobias is dot 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 missing. Yes. Very ominous. So they go looking for Jake and David and go to the mall where they see a tiger, which they realize is Jake. David is still in the mall. It's still in Lion Morph, so he attacks Rachel. She gets away. Paramedics show up along with Cassie since it's, you know, a tiger. And Rachel tells Cassie what's going on while she and Axe go to talk to Marco. But then it turns out that Marco is actually david in morph as marco so then and he badly injures axe while axe is in morph yeah when did that happen knew what happened david acquiring marco he snuck into his bedroom and tied him up oh yeah because he doesn't kill humans god that's messed up god he's so oh he's so wildly irredeemable at this point rachel then goes after david and leads him on a chase through town in bird morph she tries to get him to electrocute himself but he uh almost that part kills was her. Brilliant. yeah yeah he almost kills her turns out tobias is alive he killed a different red-tailed hawk the animorphs have to figure out how to deal with david because he has all the same advantages that they do um and so scary yeah and he could just who knows all your secrets and he could just be marco yeah yeah because that's the next time they see him he shows up in marco morph at school trying to like threaten them and then jake tells rachel to go um after him and rachel goes and like pretty violently threatens him and his parents with a fork with a fork and rachel is also like you know jake kind of told her to go threaten him knowing that that's what she would do while this is all going on they still deal with the whole like world summit thing where a bunch of the like world's big big boy leaders are gonna become controllers so they also have to stop that because that's also a big deal. So they finally decided to just stop being subtle and they go and morph really big um, animals like rhinos and elephants and just beat the crap out of the entire like resort. I appreciate that for once they eschew subtlety. They're, they're just like, you know what? We're just going to be blatantly animorphs, like blatantly, you know morphed animals beating the crap out of some buildings they really like it was i mean i know every mission that they do is dangerous but this one i mean they were just coming out of the ocean and they could have gotten shot by those guys yeah they did get shot by those guys so then they go back into the ocean where they encounter david who has somehow acquired and morphed an orca how did that happen okay sorry went to some kind of like sea place but who knows but so then he while like talking to them accuses rachel of being like a psycho and threatening to kill him and no one else really stands up for rachel um and then cassie shows up as a humpback and he leaves then it's time for me to go (laughs) bigger whale oh no technically mark is not a whale so then the next morning rachel's younger sister talks to her regarding her cousin sadler because that whole thing is still also going on rachel and jake's cousin sadler is still like on death's door and they have a really Mm -hmm. sweet moment talking about like why bad things happen but then rachel goes to the bathroom and invisible david is there and blah 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 rachel and david argue and then is it at this point that he makes it clear that the thing he wants is the cube or has he already made that clear throughout okay yeah Yeah. he he wants the cube and that's kind of he wants the cube so he can get his parents back then the whole family goes to the hospital and then turns out sadler has disappeared and the real, like, the real Sadler disappeared, and Sadler, in quotes, has made a miraculous recovery and is actually David in Morph. Yeah, so then they have a fake discussion, because uh, they know that David is probably listening in, where 
Rachel pretends that, because Rachel and David have really made it personal, because he's a misogynist. But so anyway, so then Rachel pretends that, like, she feels defeated by David, and Marco, like, makes fun of her for it, and they meet mm-hmm. David at Taco Bell. Um, and Taco Bell! And they to take him to the Blue Box. There's this whole complicated explanation for why they have to, like, morph rats and go into this small area, blah, 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 that we can talk about later. It's a good plan, IMO. It's a great plan. And so then, basically what happens is they plan it all out so that David, thinking that Rachel is cowed, doesn't really suspect a trap, and he gets trapped in a cage in some pipes in, like, the construction site where they first found the Escafil device, and then he is trapped in this cage as a rat. Rachel and Axe stay for two hours while David is trapped in rat morph. So then, once they have trapped him as a rat nothlet, they drop him off on an island with other rats. Then people start thinking that the place is haunted because David like screams in thought speak whenever anyone comes near. Gosh, there's a lot in this book. So T.A. Escafil asks us about whether or not David's redeemable at any point or whether or not it's within their capability to sort of work with him and reason with him. And yeah, wow, that is just extremely out the window at this point because he does some really awful things to these people that we, through their journals, have come to know and love. Basically, what I'm saying is they should have killed him. <laughs> they should have committed some rat murder. They should have just thrown thrown that big pipe cage into the ocean and called it a day. He was literally threatening to do the same thing to them, to turn them into nothlets. So despite the fact that he lost his family and despite the fact that he specifically does like uh, horrible things i don't know i just think it's a fitting punishment i mean it's still horrifying and insane yeah there is a degree of poetic justice to it i guess but like i don't know Uh, uh, throughout history with every sort of like story of hierarchy and punishment and resistance there are always a group of cranks and fascists and weirdos who are rooting for the quote-unquote bad guy here who are always rooting for the sort of like oppressive antagonistic force right um and those the impact of that can can really have long-lasting consequences for how those stories are told after the events actually transpire Mm -hmm. and in the case of david and the animorphs the sort of like cultural impact that he has as an entity in this story is precisely zero because nobody sympathizes with this guy and for great reasons like ah like so it's entirely possible that if they had killed him then people would have seen him as a murderer that's a possibility i feel i think they're already on the edge of like <laughs> doing lots of bad stuff and being more flexible with killing people does not ever really sound like a good idea to me for how much like they should just feel comfortable taking other people's lives into their own hands. And they, they go over this a lot. They have a pretty good code with regards to actually not stealing stuff, hurting people. Yeah. So Much better than David's quote, I won't kill human people sort of thing, which... It, it just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just, yeah. It's ridiculous. He's, he's just trying to find a way to manipulate them as much as he can. I'm 100% spacing out. But the Wikipedia page for David is so funny because his aliases, like his nicknames, are so funny. <laughs> Dave, Davy, New Boy, Stuart Little, 
Oh my god. <laughs> Garbage eating, money pilfering, sewer dwelling, rabies carrying rodent. <laughs> the rat. Whoa! Oh Sniveling would be traitor. The sixth Animorph, which was like an editorial mistake made by the people who compiled these journals and published them on behalf of the Animorphs. And the ill fated Animorph. And then <laughs> species. Human. And then in parentheses, formerly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Erso, I think you're right empirically about the sort of moral event horizon of condoning death or prescribing death. For your prescription today, I advise 10 milligrams of death. Take before eating. (laughs) I just, like, I'm just super sensitive to betrayal and, like... That's why I think this this one hits so hard. That's why I think it's so... such an entertaining, intense, riotous read because... Not only is, like, their biggest mission ever happening, but also he hits home and messes with them in a way that is so deliberate and dangerous to the only thing that they have, which is secrecy. That's their only strength. Wait, hold so. on. I'm eating, but I have an important point to make one check. So, it's also one thing that I just thought of that we were talking about with Journal 19 with Aftran is how maybe it is like fundamentally impossible to understand someone from a different species maybe it's even fundamentally impossible to understand anyone ever and we are all alone in the universe i kind of believe that. so pomo of you my goodness <laughs> that's, that's that's quite the logical jump but sure i don't know what that means but anyway pomo is postmodern okay whatever i don't know what these words mean and i don't care postmodernism is like maybe if you if you look at a red thing then you're seeing a different color red than i am because what is red dude i mean isn't that kind of true <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think about oh that God. all the time as someone <laughs> okay yeah that's not a good example because Zerso's colorblind um <laughs> anyway but oh let, me, let me finish my points so we were talking about how it can be really hard to understand cross species when like different species have different abilities and different perspectives on stuff although that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to feel compassion for others but maybe one of the things that makes david so effective is that he is a human and not just a human but a human from like the same general background as them the same country the same age and so i think david kind of thinks a lot like them and also in some ways and also thinks a lot like he knows what will hurt them because he's like them in a lot of ways i think that's in part where the misogyny comes in is that it's like i mean he's always <laughs> <laughs> and you guys made fun of me for coughing <laughs> his misogyny is deliberate but here he uses it whereas like viscer three while also potentially being a misogynist is not like we've gone over before about how he's not really that he's not as scary as he could be because he's just sort of like blundering boisterous megalomaniacal blunt instrument yeah whereas like david is like this disease among them that kills them from the inside out and just to summarize i i don't i don't know it's hard for me to claim whether or not anyone is or is not redeemable that seems like really harsh but i think things could have very easily gone differently and he could have been the one of the first many animorphs but you know what he wasn't and that's the way it was, and I think that they dealt with it in the best way possible. So, this week I will not be providing a hypothetical. Something about that sounds like it should be a meme format, but I can't quite make it one off the top of my head. This week I will not be providing a hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. 
I like it. We can make that work. I'll get my, my newly minted comparative memetic skills. Make you a meme that'll be viral by the end of the day. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really empathize with Rachel in this book. Oh yeah, man. Hard I empathize same. with her really hardcore because I also struggle with the concept of like violence as a as a tool that is like hypothetically in my arsenal and that at various times of my life has been expected of me as like the thing that I do. But like Rachel doesn't want to be the hitter. She doesn't want to be the enforcer. She wants to be like, she wants to be an action hero. She doesn't want to be a murderer, you know? It's a very fine distinction. Right, she just wants to do the cool thing and punch a bad guy. She doesn't want to like end a life, like. Yet again, the Rachel Marco parallels. The cinnamon topography of it all. The cinnamon topography? Cinnamon cinematography, but I'm being goofy, so I said cinnamon topography. Like, the people who call the shots, the people who make the plans, have decided that, like, if you need a problem solved with social skills, you call Cassie. If you need someone to rip and tear until it's done, you call Rachel, you if know? If you need someone to make um, a complicated plan that doesn't necessarily involve social skills, you get Marco. If you need somebody to laugh at your puny Earth technology, you call X and Billy. If you need someone to do surveillance, <laughs> you call Tobias. If you need someone to make a plan that does not involve violence, but does involve bugs, get Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> Every time! I think that this book really emphasizes the dark side of Cassie's advice of, like, it's in the character. Because I think Jake knows that now. I think he really understands that and takes it to heart. And that's why he calls on Rachel. Because he knows now that he can't just strategize around David. He, he knows that he needs to play up people's strengths. And Rachel is immediately aware of that. And I think it's something we can all relate to. of Knowing that people perceive us in a way that is different than... How we perceive ourselves and it's scary when we're confronted with something that i don't know we may not have intended but that other people find useful yeah like even socially that's like scary but when it's like practical and someone's like hey i think you'll be the best at killing this person because you i know that you and tobias are like kind of dating like uh. But also, like, yeah, you're, no, you're totally right. The way that he, like, recognizes a good cop, bad cop dichotomy between Cassie and Rachel and implements that intentionally. Like, okay, but on the one hand, isn't that his job and his yeah. real, fa like, that's not, you could, you could make the argument that that's not his failure in this book. His failure is when David confronts the team and be like, she threatened to kill my parents. He just, like, didn't do anything about it. That's his failure as a leader is that he doesn't support his people. Fairly early on, they're talking primarily about the plan to smash the resort, right? But they don't say what the plan is. They just say, like, we came up with a new plan to deal with that. But since they don't say what that plan is, you know, you don't know until they go and smash the resort. I have always read this journal all of the times that I've read it as them also in that elided conversation talking a little bit at least about the David situation and talking a little bit at least about how he was honing in on Rachel and seeing her as his personal nemesis a little bit already, I think, and that they were already planning to exaggerate the tensions in the group that affected Rachel's relationship with the rest of the group because they already had at least some inklings of a plan that would involve needing Rachel to look like she was isolated from the rest of the group. 
So I actually have always read this as like, it was a little bit part of the plan, but it also went way too far. I like that reading. Thank you. I think that they couldn't help but not entirely contain this intentionally volatile situation. It's like the kind of yeah. situation where like you're you're joking with your bud, but you're also pissed off at them about something that they did, but it's like not really a problem you feel the need to address. You're just kind of pissed about it or like it's not the right time to address it, but you're like joking with them and your joke comes out way too mean because you've got some pent-up anger, speaking from experience. That sounds like a you problem. I yeah, it sure does. a few times. And it's really taught me a lot about not repressing my feelings and or, like, keeping crap to myself. But kind of the same deal of, like, whoops. Yeah. I definitely, I agree with that. I think that that first conversation where they're factoring in David's presence in their meeting in the barn, definitely, there's some tension there and there's a weird dynamic that eventually gets worked out in uh, chapter 121 in the conversation in the hospital. There's a conversation loose in a hospital. Oh my god. And I think maybe in my mind it is because I like relate a lot to Rachel in this book in a somewhat different way from what you were talking about, Parker. Um... Mm -hmm. I relate to her more in the way of, like, nobody likes me, I'm annoying and terrible, ah, which I know is illogical, and yet knowing that it's illogical does nothing actually help. So I think part of it is just me, like, wanting to have a more charitable read of the situation and wanting it to be, like, oh, they never would have actually been this mean to her if it wasn't for the fact that they had, like, planned to do it, but that it was also kind of, like, you know, similarly to, like, the whole thing about if you say something while you're drunk, and then you're like, oh, I was drunk, I didn't mean it. It's like, no, you were drunk, you really meant it. Kind of this yeah. similar yeah. thing of, like, they slip up and say things that they, they do mean, but that also they would have, like, kept to themselves if it wasn't for the fact that they were already supposed to be saying something a little bit mean. Right. So do you blame Jake for this? I feel for like they should have talked a lot more about boundaries. If, 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 if my read is correct about, like, what the plan was, they should have talked way more about boundaries. I, I, I think that that's his, that's his failure as a leader and as a cousin and as a friend. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a sound strategy. Like, I think that the fact that they talked about it so late could have hypothetically just, like, irreparably damaged their relationship and that he messed up there. But, like, I don't, I don't think the strategizing that is... I don't know that I think that we all agree was done in that initial conversation is necessarily like off base or taboo. Like, I think that that's what's, that's what needs to be done. And that's what Jake is capable of is sort of like shaping the dynamic in that way. That's the way in which he's using his prowess. Um, finally, I've discovered something that Jake is good at mm -hmm. uh, is sort of like setting the tone of the room. Finally, as if he didn't have other good things before. I, I have I have kind of ragged on Jake prior to now as the sort of most white bread, uncharacterizable due to lack of characteristics sort of member of this team. But he's starting to come into his own as a leader. And by that, I really deeply emphasize starting to because he does cause Rachel a great degree of emotional distress in this book. And it's not great. And I think they do reconcile, but it really could have been avoided. Considering that these are 13 year olds, like that's an ad admirable amount of emotional maturity. To even, like, recognize, like, oh, there's a problem, we need to patch it up. He's figuring out how to do this in real time. Like, this is his first experience with something this serious. And both Jake and Rachel have, like, a lot of stresses coming towards them from different angles in these. Because they have their relationship with each other being I'm gonna messed go to up. the bathroom. Okay, bye. Um, they have the whole Saddler situation, which is... 
you know, neither of them really like Sadler, so they're not necessarily as messed up about Sadler himself. I've totally been there uh, with relatives um, who have, like, been really sick or died, where I'm just like, I mean, it objectively sucks, but I'm not, like, gonna grieve, because uh, mm. I don't care about you. Slightly problematic, Cassandra. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. We talked about this before. I'm not a very empathetic person. But they still have sort of the whole, like, family dynamic that is closing in on them. You know, there's that really heart-touching conversation that Rachel has with one of her younger sisters. If we have time, I would love to talk about that. About how, um, you know, why do bad things happen? And so I think Rachel and Jake are also probably sort of having to confront, like, sometimes bad things happen for non-Animorphs-related reasons. You know, sometimes your cousin just gets hit by a car because he didn't look when he was biking. And then they've got the whole David situation. So Jake and Rachel are really at the center of, like, a lot of tension. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really love the exchange that happens in Chapter 18 where Rachel's talking to her sibling. Rachel just annihilates the concept of victim blaming in this conversation. It's just like... Victim blaming ended. Ended. She has r- ripped and torn and now it is done and victim blaming is no more. How many Doom references are you going to make? I was making a reference to be making a Doom reference earlier. <laughs> so it's a recursive reference. Yeah, she's uh, she's got some highs in this book and she's got some lows in this one. Oh, are we talking about the Nazi stuff that she says? I think we should. Wait, I think I think we should talk about this conversation with Jordan because I do think it is a really important and valuable conversation. But yes, we should also talk about Rachel's troubling dip into eugenics at some point. I don't know what to say about it other than to quote it because I think it's just good. Do it. Quote it. Read the whole thing. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah, basically Jordan expresses the fact that she's sort of like grieving over the situation with Sadler, but is also having some guilt over the fact that part of that is that she's glad that it's not her and sort of finds herself leaning into victim blaming, suggesting like, I would never ride my bike like that. Rachel says, it's not right, but I think it's probably normal. I mean, you don't want to think it could happen to you. So you have to come up with excuses, ways it could never happen to you. You end up blaming the person who got hurt because then you don't have to think about what if it was you that had it happened to. You even start getting mad at the person it happened to. Like, how dare he drag me down into all of this pit of darkness? How dare he get hurt and make me feel bad? Jordan says, that's just so wrong. Rachel says, yeah, probably, but it's also how people are. You don't want to go around thinking it could be me next. It could be my sister or mother or father. You're going to do anything you can to not feel that way. You have to put up a wall between you and the fear. You have to cut yourself off from it. Tell yourself you're safe. Bad stuff only happens to people who are careless or stupid or evil. Like, she identifies the fact that victim blaming comes from a place of personal insecurity. And Jordan's comforted by this. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, she sort of registers that, like, yeah, it's not good to victim blame, but also it's natural. And if you're young and you're grappling with something this random and brutal and tragic i sometimes it makes sense sometimes it, it's what happens in your brain and you just have to sort of like rationalize it away um it makes sense that they're all de- trying to deal with like the irrationality of tragedy in their lives because their parents just you know divorced and a yeah. lot of weird stuff has happened them and their house collapsed ch- their house collapsed their house collapsed mysteriously and, and profitably child, yeah very profitably as a child it's just like it just like it i remember it just feeling like it doesn't make any sense but trying to figure a way through that and 
not making sure everything makes sense, but understanding that you have ways to cope, even if they're bad sometimes. I just feel like, as a society, we've become more compassionate than people were at the time that these books were being written, about, like, sort of reacting to things emotionally and coming up with bad ways to cope. But I feel like there's always work that can be done there, in terms of, like, if people are sort of coming up with really bad ways to cope, like victim blaming, it's like trying to have compassion for those people and sort of trying to help them realize that they are misplacing their sense of fear and their sense of anxiety about this thing into a way that is like kind of toxic, but doing it in a way that is gentle and supportive is like always something that we can we can try to aspire to. Especially when you're someone like Rachel who has trouble being gentle and supportive. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of well, actually... Well, j- trouble being gentle and supportive outside of the context of her family, because I think that she actually... I don't know. This is... I guess she's not gentle and supportive in the sort of conventional sense on the day-to-day, but, like, this is incredible of her. This is great. This is great, uh, yeah, great sibling relationship. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think this is important. important. Moment. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually kind of linked to something that I wanted to say, Parker, which is that this was also a really interesting conversation to be seeing from the perspective of a chronically ill person because hmm. so many people really fall into this kind of thinking. I think it's called, like, the just world hypothesis or something, which is, like if bad things happen to you, that's because you did something wrong. When, Mm -hmm. like, confronted with chronic illness because they don't want to think that that could happen to them, that, like, any disability could happen to them. So it's like, oh, have you tried yoga? Fun fact, my doctors have specifically forbidden me to ever do yoga. Yoga is medically contraindicated for me. (laughs) But, you know, like, oh, have you tried oh yoga? Have you tried kale smoothies? Um, and like that kind of thing. So that type of thinking definitely is still alive and well. Yeah. We stand kale. <laughs> we do not stand kale. I, I love a kale. I just Ugh, like to the eat The entire Brassicaceae family has it out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did y'all already talk about Rachel's brief dip into mercy killing and, eug- and eugenics? Nope. No, let's talk about eugenics briefly. Let's. Nah, I hate eugenics. Should we not talk about it? Can I mean, that could be all we say about Rachel, it. Rachel, this is messed up and move on. The other thing is that she realizes that yeah, it's that messed up pretty shortly really, after. I literally, I was like on the class forums, like about to send you guys a message like, oh, oh my God, God can you believe that Rachel like is a Nazi for a hot second? And then I was like, oh wait, she immediately like backtracks. I feel like there's still yeah. a little bit of an implication there that like the 5% or whatever that won't recover, she believes in a mercy killing for, but like, she does mm-hmm. say something like, well, then I realized that was dumb, or I later found out that was dumb, and I was like, okay, good. You Please, please remember that next time you sure start that... to be all, like, survival of the fittest. So for the TAs, Rachel's in the hospital visiting Sadler in the pediatric intensive care unit, and she's like, oh my god, all these kids look so messed up, it makes me believe in mercy killings. But then immediately after, she's like, well, I found out later from the doctors that, like, 95% of the kids ended up getting better and leaving and being fine. So that was dumb of me to think that. I mean... I mean, maybe Rachel's just woke in the medical aid and dying sort of yeah, realm but like at, this at this time. Point in society, they could not. I mean, still even at our point in society, I would not trust our society with like euthanasia or whatever the word is. I'm forgetting assisted suicide. And at this point, like in the 1990s, they definitely couldn't be trusted with it. Well, I mean, this is this is kind of my field. Like, this is this I, I encounter. Parker, I get this. This is your field, but I am a whole uh, cripple over here. So yeah, well, no, but because because you could interpret this one of two different ways. Either Rachel is prescribing death once again. Take two death and call me in the morning. <laughs> Mood. 
Yeah, I guess she does explicitly say mercy killing, yeah. doesn't she? Which implies very much that there's not a lot of volition coming from the uh, the mercy killed party. Even if she said assisted suicide, I would be like a little more like, okay, I get where you're coming from. I read that as she's she's sort of expressing some support for medical aid in dying, yeah. uh, which I just think is she's a good thing. Capable of imagining herself as weak, and so when she sees other people as weak, she can't deal with it, so she panics. This is kind of the same thing we ran into with Marco outside the psychiatric institution a few journals back when he's joking yeah. about like all the nuts, and we were like. It's probably because also Marco doesn't like to be seen as weak and he is like joking about it because he feels intensely intensely uncomfortable around like people he sees as vulnerable. And I feel like maybe Marco has that reaction a little bit more to people who he sees as like mentally or emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And maybe Rachel has it a little bit more towards people she sees as like physically vulnerable. Although I think yeah. they both have it towards both. Interesting that we are psychoanalyzing people based on their bigotries here. <laughs> That's just how you survive when you're a minority though. I guess so. Speaking from experience. No one uses fax machines, but call you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet, broken toys. I love the bit on page 24 of our uh, of our digital document where you have the moment from John Carpenter's The Thing where we're like, oh, okay, which one of you is the real one? Yeah. Yes. And Rachel walks in and says, Marco, you know you're a toad. And he's immediately like, kiss me and I'll become a prince, he said without hesitation. I'll be the prince formerly known as Toad. You know you want me. You can't help it. After all, you're a female and, well, I'm me. Yeah, that's the real Marco, I said finally. Like, I don't know oh. he said he had to keep doing it. I wish he wouldn't say female like that, but it's... I, I personally read that as him being, like, sarcastic, but... Yeah, he's playing it up. Him, I mean, 50-50. Yeah, it's definitely 50-50. <laughs> the fact that he's so quick with it, though, is what allows them to be confident in the fact that it's really him. The fact that he's just right out the gate with, like, like Cassie immediately is like, oh, yeah, we morphed trout. And uh, Marco's <laughs> like, oh, it wasn't bad except the crack and crumb Cody chafed a little and I'm allergic to tartar sauce. And I'm like, oh, man, okay. All right, it's Marco. <laughs> In, in like in like fiction pieces when you have this moment of like oh how could we be sure it's the real you it's this very fraught thing. yeah it's very tense it's like no shoot him i'm the real one no shoot him right i'm yeah. the real one and this one it's like hey marco you're a toad whereas marco just has to chirp a little bit and everyone's like all right yep no it's the real one nobody <laughs> nobody chirps like marco chirp technically would no one chirp like tobias Oh, no. You know, I saw a hawk yesterday, actually. It's Canada slang. Okay. Speak American slang. We're in America. Hey, you don't know where I am. Chapter 24 has a good Axe Humanity moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, we should have an Axis Humanity moment corner. He didn't even seem human. I think he was a mandroid. Spicy, right? This flavor... This flavor is called spicy? Yeah, spicy. Hot, too. Yes, it is hot. No, I mean, like, the flavor is hot. So, so is the t- temperature. S- skip it. Skip? Forget it. Let's just go drop it. And then immediately, he just, like, <laughs> drops his container of refried beans. <laughs> Philip from out of state is a treasure. He is a sweet cinnamon roll, uh, much like the foods that he loves most. Bunza? Once they realize that he's, uh, that he's managing to broadcast to people in boats in Thoughtspeak, they they have to, like, relocate him, right? I I think they just killed him. Like, once they realized that people could hear him, I think they just killed him. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It still, it makes (laughs) sense. It still works. It makes sense. Uh, Okay. They killed him. I guess, but I don't think that they were that 
ruthless. Maybe Rachel went back with a fork and head okay, for dinner. <laughs> I w- was surprised she didn't legit stab him with the fork in the face. Yeah. I mean, she twisted his ear. That's close enough. I mean, that's a grandparent move. They grab your earlobe and they tug it on it and they twist it. Oh, my God. What kind of grandparents have you grown up with? A lot of grandparents. I work with the grandparents. No, but a grandparent will grab your earlobe before you even realize it. Like, I I'm, I basically have gauged earlobes at this point, and it's not even because I've done anything to them. It was just from grandparent grabbing. Why do your grandparents believe in corporal punishment? Truly. That's how they do. Not my grandparents. The grandparents I work with. Oh, okay. Universal grandparents. Mm. <laughs> the public universal grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Goals, honestly. God I want to be the public universal grandparent. <laughs> and I won't even pitch people's earlobes. And it stands for pug, so you can be the pug for short. Yeah, the pug. You know what else pug stands for? Pickup game. Come on, kids. Let's hit the court. <laughs> Cool basketball grandma. There we go. It's That's me. your niche. Yeah, totally. I'm gonna I'm gonna get really into basketball. God. I can't I can't even imagine. I was gonna say, aren't you like happening. five foot even or something? Yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm gonna get shorter as I age, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. See, there you go. Sundresses, as in sun. You don't hear about rain dresses, you have raincoats. No one ever says, Whoa, you look excellent in that raincoat. These are types of artificial skin, I assume. Accent. I do love a good sundress. Like I'm with Marco Rachel's femininity quarter. Both for personal, I like wearing them reasons, and a little bit for gay reasons. I do love a good sundress. Hey Cassandra, how's your sewing machine going? It's good. It works. It's totally fixed. I have sewed several seams on it, and then I got distracted by something else. But I have a dress to finish now that I can sew long seams without wanting to die because I'm hand stitching them with a back stitch into their French seams. If any of the TAs listening sew and know what those terms are, they probably just got up and poured themselves like a stiff drink of whiskey in solidarity. Imagine sewing a skirt seam for like a mid-length skirt by hand with a back stitch and it's not even just a one-off seam, it's a French seam. I'm so glad I didn't have to do that because the machine's fixed. So glad that the hardest problem I have to run into when building bionicles is that I just sometimes break a nail when trying to get two bionicle pieces apart. <laughs> oh, that happened to me the other day. Anyway, so as as we come to the end of the David trilogy, so too do we come to the end of Cassandra's sewing machine saga. Woo! It's been a great run, folks, but the sewing machine now... That's my favorite podcast. ...is functional. <laughs> Speaking of which, the next journal that we're reading is the last one of the semester. No, I'm gonna go I know, insane. I I'm trying to avoid that. I'm gonna go insane um, without being able to talk to you guys about Animorphs every week. Yeah, it's going to be rough. But, I mean, I know uh, we can talk about other stuff whenever, and we have talked about other stuff outside of class that is not Animorphs. Are we ta- Are we all taking the class next semester? I plan on it. I actually haven't picked out my schedule yet. <laughs> I mean, neither have I, but I plan on it. Like, what, you think I think that far ahead? Yeah, no. I actually have for once thought that far ahead. I'm trying to be more organized. Nice. Anyway, uh, next week we're going to read Animorphs Volume 23, The Pretender, narrated by Tobias. He's morphing into a cute little bunny wabbit on the cover. Oh boy, you're in for a wild ride, Parker, if you haven't read this one yet. I mean, yeah, the the uh, the tagline on the front of the book is Tobias is about to discover the secrets of his past, so yep. I'm imagining it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Stop speaking like that. We all know you want to just talk about spoilers. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. Tobias's secret past. My brain is just immediately like, oh, he trans. I mean, Duh, besides of that. All of us have a secret past. 
and by all of us, I mean me. Parker, you should read the Andalite Chronicle. Why is it that on the cover here, Tobias has the same bowl cut as Jake? Wait, is this actually, is this a picture of Jake on the cover? I thought that was supposed to be Tobias, it but be it the looks same like the model that they hired to model for both of the indistinguishable. It, it white looks boys. like it looks like a. Hold on, when's the? Well, we have gone over Tobias's morph, new morph body being different than his original. That's true. Form. I, I still that... hold that as my version of reality. It makes sense. I, I, I refuse to believe in the Alamist. So the oh yeah, no, it's Jake sense, definitely. The only thing that makes sense is if Tobias just regained the ability to morph with the Escafil cube, the Escafil device, whatever, and then just secretly collected DNA from a bunch of different dudes who looked kind of like him and had Axe show him how to them into one person that looked pretty similar to how he used to look. Same same denim button up, same heinous bull cut, take it to the bank, boys. This one's just like Jake. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we don't have anything else to say. Nah, I'm good. Jake is garbage. And by Jake, I mean David. David's garbage. And he deserves everything he got and then maybe more. Wasn't this one good? Wasn't the whole series This is good. I love... Okay, I do have to say before we go, I love convoluted plans and I love when convoluted plans work perfectly. Yeah, I love it's so satisfying when it all comes together. When, oh! wait, 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 sorry. So I know that we're supposed to leave. I know we're supposed to leave, but I actually have a deep question that might provoke like 20 more minutes of conversation. Um, all right. Do it. What do you think their plan B was? Because they refer to like having a second plan that isn't as good. Do you think it was just like someone morphs something big and smooshes the dude? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Rip. that's going to That doesn't require yeah. any conversation. I, 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 I will, you know, if we wanted to get, like, back into another discussion about the morality of murdering a 13-year-old. I you mean, don't. The morality of murdering a 13-year-old is that it's bad and you shouldn't do it, but they might have just done it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's, here is evidence. Here's evidence that their plan B is just smoosh him, right? Um, think about the other sort of long-term plan that gets enacted in this book, right? They had a really convoluted plan that ended up backfiring on them, and their plan B is just destroy it with huge yeah. morphs. So he probably their plan B for, for David is also destroy him with huge mm -hmm. morphs. Yeah, Makes he doesn't sense. have any big ground creatures that we know of. Only an orca. Yeah, I mean, a lion. A lion's not going to do much against, like, two elephants and three rhinos. Also love to see the premier friend of an unnamed country sipping a whiskey and then suddenly his wall is gone and there's an elephant there. That's also great. Yeah, I, love I, that. who, I don't know who that guy is. If it turns out that we actually do historically know who the guy is and he's terrible, I revoke the statement. But I do stand the guy just chilling in his underwear drinking whiskey who just sees some elephants and rhinos and is like, yeah, okay, this might as well happen. I mean, he's a G8 leader, so he's probably a scumbag, but no, like, also, I... it's just a good look. Oh god, the reaction is very good. It's so good. Maybe we're not we talking about the Animorphs Journal entitled The Reaction. We're talking about the, <laughs> that, that guy. Maybe we should, like, should we, should we do a dramatic reading before we leave? You did a dramatic reading earlier, so I'll do a dramatic yeah, reading. Yeah, you, you, you go for it. The security guys were getting serious. Elephants and rhinos running around. Well, that was almost funny. Elephants and rhinos beating in doors and knocking down walls. That was a whole different matter. It's I really funny. <laughs> it's really <laughs> I shoved at the hole I'd made and found myself blinking in the bright light. Blinking and staring at Marco and at the man sitting in an easy chair wearing a tuxedo shirt, a tie, black socks, and glossy black shoes. His tux coat and pants were draped over a chair. 
He had a somewhat familiar face, the leader of a great power. Okay, so he is a leader of one of the countries. He was sitting in his jockey shorts and calmly pouring a glass from a bottle of clear liquor. Oh, so it's not actually whiskey. It's whatever. Anyway, then he glared belligerently at me and Marco. Now, I'm not going to say who this man was or what nation he headed, but he was drunk. Drunk, but no coward. He just sat there in his underwear, glaring at us, defying us. What do we do? Marco asked me. Guess we go tear up someone else's bungalow, <laughs> I suggested. <laughs> Suddenly, about 12 security guys came bursting into the room, guns drawn. And not just handguns, either. These guys had automatic weapons on us. But the man in the chair said something loud and curt in a foreign language. No one fired. The man in the chair made sort of an after-you sweep with one hand, indicating <laughs> that maybe Marco and I should leave. So we did. We went out through another wall and dragged half the roof down with us, but we left. Behind us, I heard a loud roar of delighted laughter, like we had really made the old guy's day. I guess if you think about it, hanging out with a bunch of politicians talking about peace must be kind of dull. After a couple days of that, maybe you kind of welcome massive, enraged animals barging through your living room. Of course you would say that, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, I think that's just a you thing. What a beautiful metaphor for life in the banality of quarantine. And like, yeah, yeah. maybe you do just want a rhino to just demolish your house. Don't you ever yeah, just want to go ape? Okay, I have a... I have a hypothetical for you. If a rhino right. wore pants, would he wear them like this or like this? <laughs> Let's say you're stuck in Horace Morph because of the social <laughs> contract, and you're sitting in your house, and you're just thinking a little, a little, a little, you know, and through your wall... Yeah, having, a, having a nightcap out of your nightcap trough that you yes. keep separate from your water trough. <laughs> Naturally. Um, and through the wall comes... Because you're a horse of culture. <laughs> uh, through the... Through the wall comes a rhino and an elephant, and they they smash the wall. What do you do? <laughs> Offer them a drink. I mean, invite them to share in your in your uh, your your uh, your nightcap trough. I'm a I good imagine. hostess. Offer them a drink. Here they come. Here they come. Pink elephants on parade. I can stand I the would... side of worms, and even microscopic germs. Technicolor packet arms are really too much for me. Here they come. Here they come. Pink elephants on parade. That scene anyway. freaked me out as a kid. Anyway. I, if I was in that situation, I would just jump on top of the elephant and ride it like a horse and feel some sort of dominance. <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for joining me on this this journey through the end of the David Saga and the penultimate book for the semester. Am I a David or am I a rat? Am I a rat? If I'm a rat, I'm a David-like rat. Am I a rat? Or am I a David? Am I a David? If I'm a David, I'm a rat of a David. Okay, I'm done. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs> Stay safe. Bye. The Morph Report is now on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we want to provide transcripts for our podcasts. However, we are not able to keep up with the transcripts ourselves, for much the same reason that we care about accessibility in the first place. To help offset these costs, we have introduced two preliminary tiers on Patreon at a $2 and $5 level, and we are working on more. If you're interested in supporting us so that we can transcribe our episodes and also so that we can pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast, please look us up or follow the link in the episode description or on Twitter. Thank you. Stay safe.
Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stop in Armageddon, I